0: Essentially, the framework aims to meet the needs of today's self-service buyer because they want all the information upfront, available, with a frictionless experience, so that they can like, take themselves through that journey without having to then go to a salesperson to get it.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodger and co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week we're joined by Rebecca Warrington and Kerry Leach, who are the co-founders of Rue and Eve, a marketing agency that helps fintech companies drive revenue through content marketing and demand generation services. Today, we're gonna be talking about a framework Rebecca and Kerry have developed alongside Nottingham Trent University. And it's a framework that helps B2B fintechs to scale and grow in 2023 and beyond. So let's dig into it, I hope you enjoy. So Kerry, Rebecca, welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to have you here. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B fintech marketing.
2: I've worked in it for a decade, and Kerry, (laughs) although she looks younger than me, has worked in the fintech industry before fintech was even a word. So Kerry's worked in financial services for over 20
0: years, and we've worked as B2B marketers in that sector. Awesome. Thinking back to 20 years ago when I started out Experian and no one even used the word fintech back then you know it was just like the big banks and you know there wasn't really much competition the things have like massively changed haven't they even in the last three years the competition has gone crazy and I think that whole trust factor has really come to the fore as well
1: yeah, because Experian are a big employer still, are they? I mean, mm. they used to be. I used to work with Experian in London, obviously different areas of their business, but they were always a pretty big employer yeah, back then. Huge. And they had a London base, and I guess you guys were based up in Nottingham, were you?
0: Yeah, Nottingham originally, and then I did yeah. a global role and travelled to London regularly as well.
1: Good stuff. And how long have you been going at Rue and Eve then? Just
0: over
2: two years.
1: Hell of a journey then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was the best thing we ever did.
1: (laughs) Awesome. So we're here to discuss a framework that you created in conjunction with Nottingham Trent University. But before we dig into that framework, what led you to produce this framework in the first place?
0: There's a lot of buzz, noise and talk around demand generation at the moment, but no one's really defined how content marketing sits within that. And as far as we've found, there doesn't appear to be like an actual framework for content marketing within the context of demand generation. And it's something that we have sort of specialised in as an agency. So then when we were approached by Nottingham Trent University, we thought actually this would be a really great project for them to support us with. So that's kind of like where it all came from. I think the main thing
2: is for fintechs, content marketing is a massive thing. There's like a big opportunity with that. And I think that's why... We've generated a model that talks specifically about content marketing in the context of demand gen because, as Kerry mentioned earlier, there's a big lack of trust and you just need to stand out in the market where there's tons of other people playing. So that's where content marketing really helps.
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of companies talk about demand, don't they? But they don't actually talk about, like you said, you need the content to go into the demand gen engine, really. And actually creating content is a whole nother chapter (laughs) in itself of B2B marketing. And why do you think using the right sort of content is particularly important for fintechs right now? I mean, you just touched on it there a little bit, Rebecca, in terms of how sort of saturated these markets are generally. But why do you think that's the case right now? There's a
2: few different things. I think The trust element is standing out and then the audience is quite technical. So you need to really understand the audience and the pain points and be able to understand at that high level what the challenges are and how to fix it. And I think that's where you can't be using the AI writing tools and cheating and things like that. You really need to pull out the expertise out of the FinTech organisation to be able to offer solutions to problems with free tips and guidance. It's basically about adding value and being able to help solve a problem. And I think that's what will differentiate the successful fintechs from the others because a lot of them are just pushing sales messages and they're missing a massive opportunity to appeal to the broader, bigger audience because with the model that we'll talk about a bit more, but there's basically 90% of your audience isn't ready to buy yet. And a lot of fintechs are targeting the 10% that are ready. And the challenge is those guys are price sensitive and they're literally comparing competitors then. So by that point, you've missed a trick. I think that's where the content marketing comes in, and it talks to everybody, and then you can nurture them down the sales funnel. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of the fintechs are missing at the
1: minute. Yeah. And do you think that's because fintechs, generally, they come from a more traditional marketing background themselves, perhaps? They come from financial services, as an example. So if I think about some of the sectors that we work in, we work in fintech, but then we work in SaaS, you think of SaaS and SaaS really understand this kind of methodology in a way, yeah. because mm-hmm. a lot of the time they can be marketing to marketers or general business people, but they tend to understand that a little bit more, maybe compared to fintechs as an example. Fintechs are still in the mode of, we must talk about our product. We must talk about yeah. our solution. We must push mm-hmm. it forward rather than sort of thinking about, okay, what are the problems that we're actually solving and kind of leading with that? Do you think that's the sort of reason that maybe some fintechs pro- struggle with the content side of it?
2: Yeah, and I think it's if you're not from that background and you're not a B2B marketer, like you said, like you wouldn't even think that that would be something that you need to focus on. I think the challenge as well is that the content marketing is not just sort of like the sport leadership bit. It's not just that bit. There's also the product marketing as well. So a lot of the time we have to educate people on the fact that you need both. So you need like this top of funnel stuff that's the awareness sort of level content sort of like introducing the problem. And then there's also you need these, quick win sort of approaches to be able to then convert people when they are ready. And I think that's the challenge. I think some people are really good at one or the other, but then maybe don't have a strategy to sort of like direct them down. At all.
1: Yeah. Good stuff. And we're sort of getting into the sort of framework a little bit, but at a top level then, how would you summarize what the framework is?
0: First of all, we collaborated with masters marketing students from Nottingham Trent University And essentially the framework aims to meet the needs of today's self-service buyer because they want all the information upfront available with a frictionless experience so that they can like take themselves through that journey without having to then go to a salesperson to get it. So we split the funnel by capture demand and create demand. So with creating demand, that's the biggest pot. So that's essentially like 90% of the audience. And then within that, 60% approximately are not ready to buy. They are not problem aware even. And then you've got 30% of that market are starting to seek change. They're becoming more problem aware, but not quite enough for them to go for it and actually want to buy something at that point. So there's a lot of different stages of the funnel and it's about being able to Take someone from having no real understanding that there is a problem they're facing right now to being problem aware, solution aware, and ready to buy. And that's the journey that we take people through. And it kind of looks a bit like a funnel. I mean, I'll share a link of it so you can share that with your audience. But we tried to sort of steer away from that little bit because we know that obviously the buyer's journey isn't linear. You do jump around a bit, you're not solution aware or you're not problem aware. But then maybe you see a thought leader talking about something and you think, oh, actually, that really changes the status quo for me. That might be a problem. Let me have a look at what they're talking about. And then you might start to become a little bit more solution aware. But then maybe you're not quite ready to buy yet. So then you jump back into the demand generation category. You need more education. So then you might see something again in two months' time or a month's time that then... Slowly starts to educate you and makes that problem bigger in your mind. So that then you actually really think, actually, I need to take note of this and I need to start researching solutions. So it's about being able to create content in such a way that it aligns to where buyers are in their journey and understanding that they will loop and go around from those different phases as well.
1: Yeah, I like it. And, you know, if you think about fintech, it's like a lot of technical markets, isn't it? Sometimes Mm. people don't know that there's actually a solution to the problem and sometimes Mm. they don't even know, like you said, there's a problem in the first place, really. So... If we're talking to marketers right now that kind of want to implement or use this framework, then, practically speaking, what should they do first?
0: I think the first thing we always recommend is to start with a strategy, essentially. Mm. So we would look to do things like really understand your audience is the first thing. So building out things like personas and ICP data and really finding out what those pain points are what their barriers are to why they wouldn't seek a solution. So really getting under the skin of it. And then from that, you do things like SEO keywords, content cluster strategies, distribution planning. So There's kind of like a whole lot of strategy piece that you kind of need to do first. And then the second part we kind of do is like right, create the content and align it to the different stages of the buyer journey. And then the third point, which is actually where most people fall down, is execute consistently. (laughs) Because this is a long-term approach. So you can't expect within two weeks to suddenly radically change your entire revenue stream. It does take, I would say, between three to six months to start seeing proper results. And from that point, it only then gets better and better and better. And we've seen this play out with our own clients and from previous roles as well. So we have a lot of Experience of having seen this work really well when it's consistently
1: done. You mean to say we won't get a ton of leads within the first week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think a lot of founders and CEOs struggle to get their head around this, don't Mm. they? They expect this Mm. sort of thing to be like a tap. You can chuck it in like a piece of code and a piece of software does something. Marketing doesn't quite work like that, does it? So it it definitely does take a bit of time. And you talk right about the sort of consistency. And obviously the distribution side of things. And you talk in the framework about the two different types of content strategies that almost interlink then. What's different about the content that you should create for each one then?
0: So when we talk about it, we kind of say you wouldn't necessarily have like, say, a podcast is in generate demand and a infographic is in capture demand. It's about how you create that piece of content and whether it aligns. So, for example, you could do a podcast, which is really bottom of the funnel, And then it's going to be more of a capture demand piece of content. So it's less about the media and more about how it's designed. So at which pain point it aligns to, where in the funnel stage it aligns to, and how you're going to distribute it as well. Because we think about not only how it's going to be found through SEO. But we try and write things in such a way that it could also be used as guest blogging. It could also be disseminated into say, 10 social media posts or a webinar, for example. So it's about trying to think about each piece of content really strategically.
1: Yeah, I mean, repurposing stuff is so crucial these days you know you put a lot of effort and time Mm -hmm. into a particular piece of content so you want to try and maximize the value of it i mean you talked about some of the different types of content then so would you say that there are certain types of content that sit in each bucket then or can it be spread across both areas
2: yeah it is everything it's a mix so you could have a blog like harry said that's top of the funnel that's very advisory sort of introduction to the topic but then you could have a piece that's very sales product led but what we tend to do is recommend like you said repurposing it because a lot of companies tend to put something on their website which is great for SEO it's amazing but then there's no backlinking to that to encourage more people to read it so then it's a massive wasted opportunity in ROI because it takes it takes effort to write that piece and write that piece well so that it's adding value to quite a technical audience so I think it's less about the type of media it's more about disseminating further and certain channels will work better for that so for example A blog works well on a website, but then you need to create it as a flip book to then promote it on LinkedIn. But then you can backlink to that text format. So it's just being a bit more clever with what you
1: do. Good stuff. And any sort of practical ideas of some of the stuff that you've created for some of your clients?
2: Yeah, so we've got one one client that is a fintech, and they've got like a set thing each month that gets ticked off. So X many blogs, X many social posts, that kind of thing. So it's kind of like hygiene factors to keep the consistency going and keep it ranking in Google that kind of thing but then also on top of that there's things like newsletters and guest blogging so it's all about making sure that they're always front of mind and that approach within two years has taken from speaking to tiny utility companies companies that you probably wouldn't have heard of to so like the top four banks like they've actively gone mm-hmm. out and said can you help us and they've got such a bespoke very niche offering It's just mad that people now know that that service exists
1: and they can save loads of money by using it. The power of content, the power of B2B marketing, (laughs) the power of you guys. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds great in terms of the sort of strategy and thinking about it going through, but I guess it sort of harps back to, okay, it's all good and well doing this sort of stuff, but you want it to make an impact. I mean, how do you sort of measure the success of something like this then? Yeah, so KPIs
2: comes up a lot with our clients Hmm. and quite rightly so, because spending a bit of money want to get return from it. So I think the first thing we always advise is that demand gen content is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So I know we've talked about that briefly already. But you would expect to get quite a consistent pipeline build after three to six months. But then at the same time, there's these other approaches you can take to make short-term wins so you can actually get leads coming in. So as an example, you want to use your content to create a lead nurturing email campaign. And then literally you can measure the KPIs as leads coming in. So what we tend to do is split KPIs by the sales funnel stages. You'll have things like at the top end of your engagement levels, your website traffic, that kind of thing. And then at the bottom, you're looking at things like cost per lead.
1: Pipeline and MQLs, SQLs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Those yeah. are still alive and kicking, I think, in B2B <laughs> marketing. So you're talking like vanity stuff almost at the top in terms of, okay, are we actually reaching people? What's the awareness of the stuff that we're actually posting out there? And then sort of drilling it down into sort of hardcore metrics. Some would argue the metrics that kind of matter.
2: I think the key thing is, I think there's tons of writers out there Like you can write your own content it would be really good. But I think the key thing is making sure that it sort of like drives you towards that demand point. And I think that's where a lot of companies are lacking Um, it's like there's just sort of things that you put in like certain call to actions a certain flow of the text just certain like clever things to make it just Mm. pop more and actually generate revenue
1: Mm. And you touched on a good point. You're thinking about content in terms of, you know, podcasts and blogs and all this sort of stuff, but actually you can use the assets that you create in terms of outbound stuff. So mm. like you said, create an email series to talk about a problem more so you could use the content that you produced in a classic sort of outbound sales yeah, sequence, definitely. which a lot of people don't necessarily think about when they're thinking about mm. content. But like you said, that's an easy one to generate a bit of demand straight away. And things like a newsletter, I guess, you know, if you've had people that have downloaded stuff in the past yeah. through your database or HubSpot or something like that, you could create it in a newsletter to people that perhaps haven't decided to purchase yet, which might get some quicker wins.
2: Yeah, I think that point you just made about sales is massive. Because people, they don't like to feel sold to. I think when a salesperson then goes in with more of a not a softly, softly approach, but an advisory sort of level with this content marketing. It makes a massive difference because people want to listen to you if you're trying to solve their problem. Whereas if you just like, buy my stuff, they're like, go away.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's
2: massive, that
1: piece. One of my favorite books, actually, The Trusted Advisor. So I think it's in the shelf behind me, but it's a good read. <laughs> so what about gating stuff? You spend a lot of money on a Good piece of content. Should you stick it behind a form or should you just let people download it straight from the website?
2: We've been asked about this quite a bit, and I know there's a lot of buzz online, isn't there? I think fundamentally, if you've got something really high value adding, like a piece of research you spent 10 grand on, nobody else can find these stats anywhere. It's really juicy. People really want it. It's worth them putting the contact details in to get it. Then, yeah, gate it. But anything else, whether it's blogs, that kind of thing the complete opposite. Like if you gate that, you're missing things like SEO because the bots can't crawl it. And like Kerry says, like people can just go to a competitor's website and find that information. So it's worse for you if you gate it. Gating it's not like a big taboo, but it's just like think about it. Would you be willing to share your information to get that? Is it worth doing?
0: Just to add to that as well, sometimes it's not necessarily about the gating of the content, but what companies do with that data afterwards. Because we have seen time and time again is that one white paper download will go straight to sales. They'll phone them up straight away, trying to convert them, but they haven't gone through that whole funnel of trying to actually generate demand with them. So it just falls flat. You burnt your list. Mm. You turn them off (laughs) and you know, you're back to square one. And so that practice. It's something we were doing like 2014, I would say, and actually perhaps it was working back then. There was a lot less competition and you just had to create a big brand and people would buy from you. But that does not work anymore. It really annoys people, so... Mm -hmm. I think it's about the practice and what you do with the data afterwards. For example, going back to that lead nurture scenario, putting that into like a lead nurture or a newsletter program, we have seen that generate amazing results. We're talking millions in revenue from that approach. So. It's just about, again, being very strategic about what you do with each piece of content.
1: Yeah, I'll always be wary with a form that has a phone number on there.
0: <laughs> Never <laughs> fill
1: out a form that has a phone number. <laughs> You're bound to get a call. So, final question then. What would you say are the two big opportunities right now for marketers in the B2B fintech space?
2: Not many fintechs are doing it. So, not many there are doing content marketing to generate demand. So, there's a huge opportunity to look very different and not be like, we do automation, AI, because it kind of looks a bit samey. So you can actually add value and help people. So that's the first thing. If they do content marketing for that reason, then that will help. And then also in terms of quick wins, it's that distribution piece. So when you started doing content, don't just stick it on the website. Make sure that you're doing things like need nurturing campaigns so that you're getting those quick wins because you've got ROIs and KPIs and you've got people breathing down your neck because they need money back for this marketing budget that you're spending. So I think that's the second thing, make sure that you're building a long-term sustainable pipeline with the right content and having a proper strategy in place, but then also doing the quick wins pieces so that you're actually generating revenue now. That's what I would say.
1: Excellent. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I will put a link in wherever you're watching this or listening to this, to the framework that you can go and have a look. I'd highly recommend doing it. Some fantastic information in there. So thank you very much, Kerry and Rebecca, for sharing your knowledge and giving up your time to be here today. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you for having us.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: (laughs) So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.